This is the podcast for San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. My name is Dee Kelly, and I am so pleased to be with you today and so glad that you have tuned in. We are located in the Point Loma area of San Diego, and we are at 3901 Loma Land Drive. We would love to have you join us with our live services. We have Sunday school classes that meet at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, and our regular service is at 1030. We have a special morning tide next Sunday, which will be the first Sunday in April and the first Sunday of every month that is laced with um, wonderful hymns, organ, choir, special music, along with a devotional, um, and still having our regular service at 1030 following that. If you um, would like, during the week, we have weekly programming, particularly on Wednesday night. We have uh, programming for all ages and invite you to be part of that. But if you need to continue to join us online, it is a privilege to be with you, as I said before. This week, I would like to uh, mention to you a wonderful book that I have had the good fortune of having in my possession. The title of it is called Subpar Parks, and it's written and illustrated by Amber Share. Amber describes the parks, but one of the unique things that Amber includes with each park are some of the underwhelming reviews that various visitors have given to some of our national parks. I don't know if you are a fan of the national parks, but I certainly am and have enjoyed so many hikes and trails and climbs um, over the course of many years and am a big fan. And it is very funny to hear some of the comments and lines that people have written into the national parks or left as comments when they have completed their tour of a particular park. Um, an example would be Yosemite um, here in California, uh, a gorgeous park, but somebody who was there left the response that the trees block the view and there are too many gray rocks. Well, I feel very sorry for the person who um, made an excursion to Yosemite and that was the experience they had. One of my favorites though, is about Arches National Park in Utah, and uh, so popular is Arches National Park that Utah emblazons some images from it on their license plate. Well, there was one individual after visiting Arches National Park who left a comment saying, it looks nothing like the license plate. So (laughs) sometimes people are underwhelmed with things that others think are stunning, beautiful, incredible in every way. I think sometimes we come to passages in Scripture that um, one person finds just unbelievably overwhelming, beautiful in every way, and yet there are others who might take a look at it and say, I don't get it. I don't see anything there that's too inspiring to me. One of those passages may be um, for one person at one time underwhelming and then at a different time when life circumstances have changed that all of a sudden a passage takes on new meaning. Well, there is a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that is uh, one of our readings for today. Uh, There are readings today that come out of Joshua, the Psalms, Luke 15, and this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. At first glance, you may not see anything inspiring here, but I hope before this time is over, 
you will um, maybe be a little more in awe of an incredible gift that God has provided for us and that Paul has stated in this passage in this letter to the church at Corinth. I would be honored to read it for us this morning. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16 and going through verse 21. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to God's self through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to God's self in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making this appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I certainly want to keep this passage in context. Uh, Paul has really had a difficult journey with Corinthians, uh, with the church at Corinth and the people um, at the church in Corinth. We find evidence of that in this letter. He talks about um, a, another letter that he sent called the Letter of Tears. It's referenced in chapter 2 of this letter. And we learn more about it in chapter 7, about how it was sent with Titus, how Titus bring, brought information back to Paul and met with him um, in a different city and and the interaction that he's had over time where he's been hurt by them and then his letter hurt them and yet they followed through on something that Paul said and it meant the world to him and he tries to convey that in portions of this letter. So there has been over the course of a long period of time friendship and division, um, difficulties in relationship and at times what appears to be reconciliation. So it's not a surprise that the notion of reconciliation is on Paul's mind and heart. And so he speaks about it in this passage. I'd like to jump back into this where verse 7 gives us an interesting exclamation of Paul's viewpoint. In verse 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The English actually kind of softens the moment. The original language um, speaks about this a little bit differently. It doesn't seem to speak in a static way about an individual who's in Christ, though that is part of it. But the message of Paul in this passage and in verse 17 is much, much larger. The language is almost like um, if someone is in Christ 
And then it's almost as if Paul doesn't have words to express what he wants to say. And then just in exclamatory fashion, a statement just blurts out, new creation. It's a statement about both an individual and God's relationship to the cosmos or all people or greater than that, all things. That being in Christ is an example of what God is doing and what God is doing is, well, I hardly have words for it. It's just new creation. This is the tone of Paul's statement here where he exclaims with what appears to be uh, profound excitement, maybe, what it feels like to be part of Christ. And so let's not miss here that this is not a static thing, but it's part of an ongoing reconciliation that God is doing with all creation. Very powerful. Well, in verse 18, we go on to the next huge thought that is here, the next peak of the mountain, like maybe at Yosemite or some other place in one of our national parks, the next big vista. And in verse 18, we have Paul saying, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So I want to pause for a moment and acknowledge that this says very clearly that this reconciliation is initiated by God. Sometimes we feel like God is reluctant to forgive, reluctant to love, re reluctant to offer mercy because God is a God of judgment. And God's great justice required Jesus to do something that would appease God's demand for justice. But here we have what is spoken of again and again in Scripture that doesn't deny that God is a God of justice but says that God is also the initiator. God is the one who reaches out in reconciliation, provides through Christ a way by which we might be reconciled. This is God's initiation, not ours. It's God's movement of love toward us. It's God extending God's self that we might be saved. It's not an angry God. It's a God-loving God and longing for us to move into relationship. Which is the next thing about reconciliation. It's not like reconciling a checkbook where we do all the counting and make sure that the balance is just right, that all of the things that have taken out of our account match the things that have gone into our account. It's this reconciling of debits and credits. That's not really the language here, though it's translated that way into English. The word is katalasso, and there is enough um, history of this word that some tell us that it is more along the line of the establishment of a friendship. The establishment of a relationship that's not built on accounting principles, but is relational in nature. God reconciling God's self to us 
that we might be in relationship. And again, reconciliation is not conformity. God doesn't demand a certain type of conformity before reconciliation is extended. God extends reconciliation even before any change has been made or even offered on our part. It's a powerful notion. In fact, I'd like to go a step further. This passage very clearly says in verse 19 that God was reconciling the world to God's self in Christ, not counting our sins against us. Not counting. This is part of the scandal of one of the other lectionary readings for today. It's Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal love of the father, the elder brother. This family and its storyline is etched into um, Christian culture in a pretty profound way. It speaks about a younger brother who asked for his portion of the inheritance and went to the far country and spent it all and found himself in dire circumstances, came to his senses and had a speech all prepared to come back to his home and apologize, but just simply say, and Father, make me as one of your slaves. The father, when he saw his younger son a long way off, went running after him to greet him, to put a ring on his finger, a coat on his back, and to prepare a banqueting feast for his son was home. The extravagant love pushes past anything that might have embarrassed any other person in that community for the father to run, for the father to not punish or hold um, the younger brother accountable for those things. It, It is as if the father's not counting what took place. The older brother is. The older brother's out in the field. He's been counting all the ways that the younger brother betrayed the father and betrayed him. His anger and resentment is revealed at the end of the story because the older brother is always counting. The extravagant love of the father, the scandal of the story, is that the father's not counting. And here we have in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that reconciliation is founded upon this issue that God is not counting our sins against us. That is so hard for us to comprehend because counting is so much a part of our culture. It's so much a part of our humanity. We count everything. I mentioned the counting of the checkbook. I, I, we live here in a location right next to a university that has to count to produce grades, counts for tests, counts days that are academically in people are in class, counts the number of days that somebody shows up. Counts, counts, counts. And when we get out, we're counting how much income we need to pay off those school loans. We're counting how many hours a day we have to work in order to get that kind of job. We are counting 
in our relationships. We're counting the number of times somebody has offended us. We've counted the number of times we've been hurt. We've counted the number of times we have given and it feels like somebody's not given back to us. We count, we count, we count. Matt Skinner, in talking about this notion of the prodigal uh, son and the issue of counting, speaks about um, his exercise routine of swimming. And I can so relate to this. <clears throat> he talks about when he swims, he counts the laps. It is an exercise. It is something to count. It is something to um, check off and complete. And so often when I swim, they are laps, and I will count one after another until I've gotten to whatever the goal is that I have determined in my accounting way of living. And Matt references periodically taking one or two of his children along who play in the pool as he does laps. And once he asked his kids after having watched them play for a long time, have you, how long have you been doing that? And the response was, I don't know. They were having so much joy, so much fun. Counting time was irrelevant. In fact, it made no sense. Counting time was an adult thing to do. Recreation, that was something to enjoy. What would it be like if our faith started moving into a place where we were no longer counting, where we actually believed that God wasn't counting things against us. Or even, if I push this a little bit further, in regard to grace, God's not counting good things for us. Grace is grace. Forgiveness is not a matter of counting and listing all of the things that are wrong. Forgiveness is remembering. It's not forgetting all of those things, but it's not counting them. It's not counting them against us. It's not counting how we respond to forgiveness. Forgiveness comes freely from the Father. I would ask the question of us, what are the many things we're counting against ourselves? Regrets? Things we've said and done, failures, hurts, pains. What would it be like if we swam in the pool of a God's grace without counting? What if we splashed around in the lake of God's peace? and didn't count the times where we had betrayed that peace or where we had been hurt by someone else who betrayed that peace. Do you think it's possible that the Spirit could work in our lives in such a way that we could be free from counting within our spiritual journey long enough to experience true forgiveness and grace? In this season of Lent, where we have grieved over death and pain and sorrow and war and struggle, right in the middle of this, we have this powerful passage of reconciliation that reaches to us 
and not only says that this is reconciliation for you, but you're invited to be ambassadors of this very trait. You're invited to participate in God's righteousness. And what is God's righteousness? It's the vast expanse of this very thing, bringing about reconciliation. Not counting things, not numbering them, but freely and extravagantly. Offering a relationship that assumes forgiveness without counting wrongs. That embraces a future because we're starting with full-on relationship now. Anticipates with hope what can be because today there is a freshness. It's not an invitation to forget history. I mean, the, the passage in Joshua tells us very clearly that we rehearse history to teach us, but not to limit what our future looks like because God invites us to step into the promised land that transforms history and remakes the future. This is the notion of reconciliation in this passage and the invitation to be ambassadors of this very thing. Living out what God has done for us because God makes God's appeal through us. Wow! What would it be like if we actually lived this way? Freedom's frightening. Letting go of counting? Ugh! That's our security blanket. I can prove things if I can count them. What if instead of trying to prove things, we just enjoyed things? Oh God of grace and mercy and forgiveness, you reach to us today, every day, and offer a relational beginning daily. Not counting against us the many things we count against ourselves or struggle with the many things that others count against us. Lord, we can't control others. Sometimes we can't even control ourselves. We invite your Holy Spirit into our life that we might be free to receive, to receive from you an outpouring of grace and reconciliation, that we might swim with abandon, love without limit, become ambassadors because you teach us joy beyond anything we could have imagined. Don't limit us, Lord, to the picture on a license plate, but help us to dance through the arches of life because we have seen that you are doing that throughout all creation. And we are part of your creation that's being redeemed. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now go on God's grace, God's peace, God's love. Be ye reconciled. 
and step into the promised land, the future that God has for you. Amen.